G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the final Footyology Podcast of Season 2019, post-grand final edition. And we have one premiership to review and one grand final spanking, as I say. A very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? I'm well. Spanking it was. It was... A brilliant football team prepared to the minute against a side that you almost saw them after that first quarter looking around saying, oh my goodness, this is not anything we've experienced before. Well, I don't want to sound wise after the event, but I did have this fear in the back of my mind and I think we both articulated it at some stage in the lead-up that uh, you might have one side that had virtually played its grand final and uh, run out of petrol tickets and another that was primed and waiting and, let's be honest, has been the best side of the past three seasons. So, yes, easy to be wise after the event, but um, they smashed them. Yeah, I mean, it was on the menu. There were different things on the menu because GWS was such an unknown quantity, and we'll we'll go through it in our summary of the game, but because they were an unknown quantity and had come a long way in a final series and because the Bulldogs had similarly come from, you know, left, you know, off stage to win their premiership, that was a possibility. There was a possibility that their unsociable football would make for a very tight contest that Richmond might finally overcome them in the third or fourth quarter. But there was also a menu item that said this team did go goalless in a couple of pretty important games towards the end of the season and they do have it in them to not be able to turn a bad situation around and in fact in those two games it got worse and worse as the game got on and unfortunately that menu item got served up didn't it okay very uh quick discussion a lot of people saying you know this is one of the worst grand finals ever um it was certainly a massive anti-climax and i I sort of felt like we were due a bit of an anti-climax. We've been spoiled for great grand finals, even over the last 10 years. I, I did a list of my five best ones, and three of them were between 2010 and, and last year. So, And to that end, underrated grand finals. Like Fremantle-Hawthorne. I mean, Fremantle had every chance to win that game for, for a lot of the game. They, they did. I mean, it was close. I always it wasn't a great game. No, it wasn't. But still, it had... More than this game, didn't it? Well, yeah, it did. What I was going to say, though, was, I mean, for all that and for all the one-sidedness of it, I still appreciated the quality of Richmond's football. I think what's worse is when you get a one-sided grand final in which the quality of play is still pretty scrappy. Uh, See, one thing about this game, you know, for all the talk about, um, you know, how Richmond play chaos football and GWS are great at the stoppages, I thought the lack of GWS pressure actually allowed Richmond to show its more skillful side, and they did that really well, and it was good to watch. Yeah, there, there were two games. It was the first quarter, 
and then there was the rest of it. And even though GWS kicked that first goal with Jeremy Cameron, what, 20 minutes into the game, that is a version of Richmond that they are very comfortable in playing, and it's the way they won the grand final and the other finals in 2017, pardon me, was the almost strangulation of a team for the first half, and then being able to unleash. Remember that in the first half of this game, Dusty played a lot of the game forward. So you've got a pretty um, fresh champion to throw into the midfield in the second half. Now, as it played out, it wasn't all that necessary. And we had that amazing sight of Marley and Pickett playing not only his first game of football, but playing a key ball, a key on-ball role. It was pretty amazing to watch, wasn't it? I'll say that that part of the game was very... It, it added a, a, a much-needed layer of interest, excitement, and the commentator certainly latched upon it. it. Thank goodness he played, because that was a great subplot. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned menu items before. Yes, that's I right. I immediately started salivating, because, of course, menu items. What do you think of? You think, inevitably, of Andrew's hamburgers. They play their grand final every time they open the doors. Because if grand final means 100% effort, 100% return, classy result, and not putting a foot wrong, and really, at the end of the day, or when they close up shop, being able to say, we couldn't have given it any more. We couldn't have made a better burger than Andrews plays grand finals every day, and have done for 80 years. And where is their MCG? Their MCG is one for... the. It is, it is a place of holy pilgrimage and it sometimes has a queue out the front and you do sometimes have to show id no you don't have to show id 144 bridport street albert park and the beauty there is everybody's welcome everybody gets treated to the same quality product there's no super boxes there no very egalitarian values just what you want to see in a hamburger establishment and the premiership team for houses finally would be I spoke to Nick Spartels as I came into this podcast. You you mean Nick Spartels of Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilco fame? Correct. And do you know what he said? What did he say? I'd be glad to build a house for Trent Coxon to add to my developments and wonderful houses for Pendlebury and Heppel because he's a champion captain of a champion team and we build for champions because we've got the product that champions want and they do. Premierships all round. And uh, you are listening to the Premiership Podcast, and we're about to go into forensic detail about the 2019 AFL Grand Final. On Footyology, wrap around. Okay, let's start with the final scores, the final very lopsided scores. Richmond, 17 goals, 12, 114. 89-point victors over the hapless GWS Giants. Three goals, seven, 25. The goals, Rewalt five, Martin, four, Lynch, two, singles to Rioli, Soldo, Pickett, Lambert, Bolton, and Cochin. The GWS goal kickers, won't take me long, Cameron, Hopper, and Himmelberg. The Norm Smith Medal awarded to Dustin Martin, his second medal, joining three other men, Gary Ayres, Andrew McLeod and Luke Hodge. He won with 15 votes, Bashar Hooley second on six votes, Marvian Pickett third on four votes, Jack Rewalt three votes, Dion Prestia 
Two votes. Let's start at the top finey of this very one-sided contest. It wasn't one-sided in the first quarter. In fact, it was an intriguing opening to the game as much as anything because no one could kick a goal. And um, I'm still waiting to see this stat, actually, and if I'm so inclined, I might ferret it out myself. But how many grand finals have had a later first goal kicked than 20 minutes and 21 seconds into the opening term? That's how long it took. And... It was Jeremy Cameron who scored it for GWS, and perhaps we should have stopped the game there, finally, because it transpires that this is now the sixth grand final in a row in which the team which kicked the first goal of a game lost the game. Okay, a couple of just additional comments as we will go and discuss that first 20 minutes because it was the most even part of the contest and probably the most pulsating in terms of a grand final to look at, but... Just before that, before the siren was even sounded to start the 2019 Grand Final, was the intrigue and sort of cloak and dagger surrounding whether or not the captain, Phil Davis, would play for GWS. He was on the ground with medicos. There was images of him in the room, but there was also Lockie Keefe hovering around. And really, until he led the team out on the ground, there was no certainty. The naming of the team included him, but you are allowed to change right up to the bounce. Uh, There was no, there was speculation and absolutely no certainty as to whether he would play. It was a very interesting prelude. And it was an unconvincing uh, fitness test, I think it's fair to say, and that's probably uh, how things transpired. Now, there is just one other element, and this I wonder how many um, places made this offer because there is a a bar and eatery near where I live that offers something that would have killed them yesterday. What's that? From the first bounce to the first goal, free beers. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I've... They've done it for a few years now. I've really should, I wanted to go there today and check whether or not they're still alive, still sort of um, able to run the business because I've I've often thought that's a dangerous thing to do. But as each minute passed, I, I laughed more and more and almost was tempted to make a beeline. Well, the uh, probably the first bit of action happened in the first minute where Jack Rewalt took what was that sh- not a mark? Surely it was a mark, and I think uh, everyone bar the umpire in control of the game probably agreed it was a mark. Not paid in the first minute, but uh, that certainly um, got Jack's confidence up, and he played uh, accordingly throughout the afternoon. Some other big moments: uh, big tackle on Shane Mumford by Trent Cochin. Uh, for which they won a free kick about five minutes in. Now, in this period uh, where I was sitting, uh, and I was sitting in one of the radio boxes, I think the consensus was GWS were absorbing the pressure okay. But yeah, I, I, that worried me as well, because yes, they are absorbing it, but the Tigers were missing a few chances, weren't they? In fact, at one stage, it was three behinds to two behinds. I thought another bad sign for the Giants was a couple of... Couple of um, fumbles, a couple of sort of moments of hesitancy. The one which I thought was most significant was when uh, Zach Williams marked just on the 50. Pretty good passage of play for the Giants, and he really should have gone back and had a crack. And instead, he went in short, chipped, you know, a nothing sort of ball inside 50, which was uh, intercepted by the Tiger defence, and that chance was gone. And at that stage already, the inside 50s were 9-2. So, uh, you know, you've really got to make the most of the chances you get, and already they weren't doing that. Good observations, and I actually had $10 on 
somebody to kick the first goal. Needless to say, by the end of the game, that looked like a silly bet. But when Castagna was running in 35 metres out with no other goal scorers, I thought maybe he'll put my Liam Shields demons to bed, but he didn't. Well, he, uh, just quickly, he went into the record books too as officially the second most inaccurate grand final combatant ever. How did they work it out? Bill Brittingham. Or yeah, he kicked 2, 11, two or, 12 or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, no, well, he comes in behind, uh, in terms of no goals, oh, comes yeah. in behind Arnold Brightus, who yeah. kicked seven behinds in the 77 draw. So there was another moment that would be telling because it would be a portent of things to come for one player, unfortunately. There was a great bit of play by little Brent Daniels. He looked like he was going to be tackled, but he absorbed the tackle, powerfully escaped, and then chipped a beautiful pass to... Big money. Now, Mumford dropped the mark, and it almost looked like bending over was a, a bridge too far for him, and uh, unfortunately, through the afternoon, he would be led a merry dance by Nan Curvis and by Big Ivan Soldo. So, if you're looking for probably bad signs, there is a couple there. The one, as you mentioned, with Williams, and that one with Mumford. The biggest moment for the Giants of the entire afternoon was the first goal, I think, and it was a, a mark to Jeremy Cameron. On 50, similar sort of position, uh, different end, admittedly, to a couple of big goals he kicked in the preliminary final last week. But uh, you always knew he was a decent chance. Took the kick from about 52 metres out and uh, hit it beautifully, and it just drifted back inside the right-hand goalpost. So with just under four minutes left, um, the Giants had the first goal on the board and led by five points. But the response was swift, and it was telling. And uh, a number of symbolic moments in this game. One was Richmond's first goal. It came thanks to Dusty Martin, uh, 24 minutes and 35 seconds in with a bit over a minute left on the clock. But the piece of play leading up to it, Lockie Whitfield got absolutely smashed by Kane Lambert in a beautiful tackle. The Tigers won holding the ball. Jack Rewalt didn't waste any time, banged the ball in, and Dusty Martin took a pretty easy mark. Um... No problems dealing with the opposition for him and converted and Richmond were back in front. It then it then sort of toed and froed for a few minutes, but uh, only a few minutes. You had uh, another missed opportunity for the Giants. Uh, Shane Mumford dropped a mark he should have held and that would have given him a pretty gettable shot on goal. In fact, I, Ivan Soldo dropped one for the Tigers down the other end. But then, literally on the quarter-time siren, probably the cleanest... Um, goal-scoring opportunity of anyone. Daniel Rioli picking up the ball after another GWS fumble just on the edge of the centre square by Perryman, unfortunately. Just couldn't take it cleanly. The ball dribbled out to Rioli, and from 50, he went bang. And as the ball was going through the goals, the siren rang. So, quarter time, the scores Richmond 2-3 to GWS 1-2. Dion Prestia everywhere in that first quarter with 11 disposals. Short, Pickett, Martin, Lynch, Hooley, Grimes and Edwards all had five. For the Giants, Heath Shaw was pretty effective rebounding early with eight touches. Matt DeBoer was tagging Dustin Martin, but didn't seem to be paying as close attention as he had in that earlier meeting and was pretty soon enough swung on to Prestia, who was causing all sorts of damage. Haynes, seven. Um, the inside 50s, 13-9 Richmond's way. They're winning the contested ball, which was significant in itself because it's not a stat they usually prevail in. And what was only a seven-point lead just felt already like a bit more to me. Two goals three to one goal two. 
at quarter time. Other aspects of that first quarter, Marley and Pickett was a bit of a slow start. Sort of, I'd, I'd almost forgotten about him. And then he either was inserted by the coach or inserted himself in the game about halfway through the quarter. So it was always going to be very interesting, his first few touches. What would they be like in the heat of a grand final? None of us, well, I, very few of us had ever seen a man make his debut in an AFL grand final. He looked good, didn't he? He looked fantastic. A couple of pressure handballs right in the thick of things. And then a, a, a really nice kick out of the centre, uh, hitting his man coming forward. I think it was Tom Lynch, well out of well out from goal. But he looked, he did not look out of place. So the early look at Pickett was, and we know it would develop into something even more than that. But it was very encouraging. All right, quarter time, Richmond by seven points. Let's talk about the second term. All right, second quarter began. Obviously, GWS needed to arrest that late momentum that the Tigers had going, and they had the chance. And uh, when you look through this game, and I did go home and and watch it a second time, and uh, they had more opportunities than you thought. One came in under two minutes of the start of the quarter, marked to Harry Himmelberg, only about 30 metres out, 45-degree angle. He had a miss. You then had another miss from Castagna. I think that was his second behind. As we said, DeBoer swung on to Dion Prestia, who was running amok. And the game ebbed and flowed this way and that. And uh, only a couple of minutes, though, before Rewalt got his first goal of the afternoon. It was from what I thought was a pretty soft free kick, um, a push-out judged. Uh, Phil Davis you judged reckon? to have pushed him out. Yeah, I, I mean, thought it was soft. I mean, they're, they're setting to go for a mark. And Davis all afternoon, obviously, was clearly hampered by mobility and maybe even by jumping and, and leaping for the contest. But just as Rewalt was setting for that mark, he got pushed out of the he got bumped out of the contest. I, I think a player's got a right to go for the ball. I think that was a free all day long. Okay. Yeah, no, well, not the sort of free kick I'd expect to see played in the grand final. But uh, yeah, look, technically it was there. He had no problems converting. He's kicking uh, already looking pretty ominous and that put Richmond up by 13 points. And then, finally, didn't result in a goal, but one of the highlights of the game, no doubt, an incredible blind turn by Pickett. Looked like it was almost in slow motion. I thought I was watching Leon Baker again, but slowed down at half speed. He just did it so gracefully, coming out of that centre bounce clearance. And uh, the resultant kick set up Jason Castagna, who took a fantastic mark, a real big mark. Yep. And unfortunately for Castagna, as would be the story of his afternoon, a miss. score from that one, I think. Uh, well, he ended up with five behinds and one out in the full. That was yep. later on. No, yep. he, you're right, he didn't score. Um, but what a, one of the great blind turns, I think. I don't know whether the GWS players were sort of as mesmerised as the onlookers were with Marley and Pickett, but it was though that they were sort of watching him. As you say, it was a it was a wide, slow, audacious blind turn that they were caught spectating. I I wonder whether or not all their prep for players and, and all the homework that is done during the week gets thrown when you play against somebody you've never played before because at this point, Pickett is growing in confidence with every possession, but he's not a showy type, is he? He's, uh, his game is quite impressive and has a lot of tricks to it, but he's not high-fiving or jumping around. He seems a, sort of a, um, a quite a, a sort of quiet individual, 
Yet, when he gets the ball, he takes things on. In fact, he would try something a little bit later that didn't work of a similar nature. But the beauty was he's playing in the middle of the ground, which allows Martin to spend more time up forward. All of a sudden, they've got another valuable rotation in the middle. Three big moments coming up in quick succession, all to Richmond's benefit. And I'll list them now. The first, um, Aiden Kaur got the ball uh, in his defensive goal mouth or between the goal and the point. <laughs> this person, is not a good kick. He absolutely panicked as he saw the Richmond uh, forwards surging at him, kicked across goal, and it went out in the full. Fortunately for him, Brandon Ellis put the resultant free kick also out in the full. But example number one, you could see GWS really starting to lose their confidence and their faith. Second, another goal to Richmond, seven minutes, 38 into the second quarter. And this, to me, we you know we, we get used to the way Dusty Martin plays, but this passage showed what a great judge of the football he is. So what happened? The ball got uh, was scrubbed forward. It bounced forward. I think it was Pickett who kicked the ball forward. There was a one-on-one with Martin and Sam Taylor. Taylor attacked the ball, as quite rightly. Martin, when he saw the ball was going to bounce, dropped back off Taylor. He thought, okay, if you get it, good luck to you, but I'm tipping it's going to be an awkward bounce. And that is exactly what happened. The ball bounced awkwardly. Taylor couldn't grab it. It spilled to Martin. Martin swung onto his right foot and from 25 metres dribbled the ball through. Richmond now lead by 20 points. Moment number three, and it's a goal to Tom Lynch, his first of the afternoon, nine minutes 50 in, and it came after a magnificent tackle on the outer wing from Bashar Hawley on Adam Tomlinson. The ball spills, Rioli wastes no time, picks up the ball and spears a beautiful pass to the lead of Lynch who made no mistake. Already, Richmond are now leading by 26 points, less than 10 minutes into the second quarter, having had, and here's their efficiency, the last from at that stage after that goal, from their last nine inside 50s, they'd kicked five goals too. There are now some major problems for GWS. We are about to get a sense, and you will take us through the rest of the quarter, that Phil Davis's mobility is not... Not not up to match standard because you can see Rewalt moving around quite a bit and there's going to be problems coming. And I think that sort of makes things harder for Taylor and for Aidan Kaur. Um, Tomlinson, who's been touted to head to Melbourne on free agency at the end of the season, possibly. I don't know why a team would rush for Tomlinson. His kicking is terrible. And he gets caught by Hawley, but he also kicks the ball poorly. And there's a player, an underrated player, in the Richmond back line. I'm glad you mentioned Leon Baker. Because at three-quarter time, I had this guy as equal best on ground. Played really well. Very similar name. Played really well. He played really well. Liam Baker, of course. Hawley's mopping things up there, but... Some of the contested work is being brilliantly done by Baker. Floston will come into his own shortly. And we are getting a sense of this impassable Richmond half-back line that sets things up. And so Richmond are on top. GWS can't get the ball deep into their forward line. And you've got a lame full-back. What happens for the rest of the quarter? 
Well, it got worse. Um, it got we got down to the twenty-three minute mark. A couple of behinds to GWS. One of them to Green, so he'd missed a couple by that stage. But now Jack Rewalt is really beginning to exploit Phil Davis's lameness and got in front and a ball just popped up inside the 50, marked easily 45 metres from goal, converted truly again. Richmond now 29 points up and then only four minutes after that, the inside 50s by this stage had got 25 to 15. So they're, they're really beginning to dominate the entire game. Uh, Prestia up to 13 disposals by this stage and Pickett 11. Um, still playing that trademark tough footy too. Shane Edwards, a really solid bump on Jacob Hopper. Well, who, that was he gets right under his wing, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he winded him. And uh, he also, the sheer force of the bump uh, caused him to, his knee to, um, what do they call it? Not sublux, but uh, certainly went the wrong way. And he came, he came off with a, a fair bit of a limp. So that was another symbolic moment as well. But Jack Rewalt. Uh, another mark 50 metres out, this time not displacing Phil Davis in the contest, but a strangely, um, I, d- I dare not say the word soft, but uh, let's just say he managed to get Shane Mumford out of position in the marking contest pretty easily. And from about 50 metres, absolutely no mistake again. So with one minute 25 remaining in the half, Richmond now 35 points up. Beautiful kick, that last kick by Rewald. His kicking all day was just superb. But just drifted kick, back inside the post. That kick was perfect. And for those people watching the broadcast, before the game there was a really good little period where Brian Taylor was walking the ground and sort of just feeling the wind conditions and talking about where you would be aiming for when you were kicking a goal. And at the punt road end he said that when you are basically in front of goal, the way the wind's working today, you are just taking the inside of the left goal post as you face it. Don't give it away. Don't go at the post because you might hit it. But if you're just inside it, any wind movement will take it closer to the centre of the goals. And that kick was almost Brian Taylor ordered. It was a perfect execution of what Brian was talking about, and it was a beautiful goal. Yeah, he had the left-to-right thing uh, for the right footer happening beautifully. So uh, 90 seconds or so left of the half. No further incident. The siren goes for half-time. The margin is 35 points. Uh, Already GWS requiring the second greatest comeback from a half-time deficit in the history of grand finals. Of course, we all know what the number one is, and it's Carlton's. Come back from 44 points down against Collingwood in 1970. That is regarded by many people as the greatest grand final of all time. So it was going to take something of uh, biblical proportions to get them back in the game. The halftime scores, Richmond, seven goals, five. GWS, one goal, six. Could the Giants do the impossible? Let's find out about the third quarter. Well, I don't want to blow the punchline early, but no, they couldn't. And that became pretty obvious there was going to be no comeback in the offing. Well, we went five minutes of the third term without a goal, but there was really even no sign even in general play that the Giants were going to get this, somehow wrench this game And this was the great back. disappointment. This, at, at least from a contest point of view, I don't feel that there was any way they could win the game at halftime because any 
his Herculean effort in the third quarter to bring it back to within three or four goals, generally, Richmond have shown that they can respond in kind. So 35 points was just too far down when you've only kicked one goal. But I thought they were very flat after half-time, which is unusual for a team that had really attacked with you know, great verve and, and, and physical, um, almost, almost, almost physical bullying the previous finals, they came out and they weren't laying a tackle. Now, Marley and Pickett, who'd been promising in the first half, was now running around almost unattended and would thrill the crowd during the mid part of the quarter. But where was the response in terms of something physical? Mumford in his last game is being pants. Well, go out there, big fella, and do what you always threaten to do and take some scalps. There's enough big bodies. Green, we know, is unsociable. He, oh, okay, so he ploughed into, uh, was it Liam Baker in that quarter? But that really wasn't what was we were talking about at the centre bounce? They were so soft, and that was disappointing. Yep, and Richmond sensed it, and they capitalised on it. So the first goal came five minutes twenty three into the third quarter. It was from Tom Lynch, and it came after more Richmond pressure. Um, Brent Daniels in the centre square feels the heat and fires a pretty uh, low percentage look away handball right that in the middle ridiculous. of the ground. Uh, it was duly pounced upon by Kane Lambert. He dished off to Prestia, who found Lynch on the lead. Beautiful pass, beautiful lead, no problems converting for Lynch. The margin now, 42 points. Not two minutes later, Dustin Martin then had his third goal on the board. It was from a right foot snap, and again, another ridiculous um uh, what do you call it, ridiculous attempt at creating something out of nothing from the Giants. It was Jeremy Cameron who went inboard from the outer wing. Uh, his attempt to centre the ball and create some space was intercepted by Shy Bolton. Uh, turns around, the ball goes near the Richmond goalmouth, right foot snap to Martin, and the lead now, 48 points. And I guess officially, almost, uh, I guess, symbolically too, given the, the sort of debut he had, but absolutely game over. 11 minutes into the third quarter, the margin now 54 points, and it came uh, with a goal that produced probably the loudest roar of the day. Pickett gets the ball through the centre. Uh, lovely pass to Dustin Martin, who has no trouble winning a one-on-one contest, and here is a good example of how the pressure from GWS had just completely deteriorated. Pickett basically just strolled into the inside 50, 30 metres from goal. It's about 40 metres in the clear. Dustin Martin sees him. Pickett says, well, yeah, give me a crack. So Martin uh, spears off the ball to an unattended Pickett who uh, puts the ball absolute dead smack bang between the two posts and is immediately beset upon by virtually every teammate on the ground. A goal in his first game, which is a grand final. Richmond 54 points up, and the game absolutely put to bed. You couldn't have described it better. That was a... By the way, that kick was three and a half metres from each post. Yeah. (laughs) There was... He's got a set shot at goal, and you're sort of hoping that he kicks it well. It was probably his kicking... His field kicking was okay. It wasn't... It didn't seem penetrating to me. He set up a couple of nice... uh, opportunities for players to run on the ball but I didn't I wasn't sure about his goal kicking I've never seen him kick a goal 
it was, well, there wasn't a lot of pressure on, but it was ice cold flowing through his veins. He just was a very relaxed, perfect kick. Obviously, they came from everywhere, as they do for your first goal in footy, but when it's in a grand final, and almost the ceiling goal, and as you say, symbolic of a team running rampant, well, I'm surprised that Sean Grigg didn't jump the fence because he's at this point being acclaimed as the selfless hero who gave Pickett his opportunity as people are now looking for stories rather than the scoreboard. Uh, yeah, well, I noticed that when I got home and watched the replay, the amount of cutaway. It was like every time Pickett got a kick, there'd be a cutaway to Grigg. Uh, Sean Grigg yeah, in yeah, the crowd. It, it obviously dawned on them at some point, you know, this is a bit of a story of selflessness and everybody likes the... Um, Unlike Channel 7 to labour the point, fine. Yeah, well, it was a bit laboured. Nevertheless, at this stage, what else are we observing? So I'll tell you what I'm observing. <clears throat> yep. Whitfield shouldn't have played either. No, well, was, actually, no, <laughs> I'm glad you put that. Moments. Well, there was a moment in the third quarter yes. where he was definitely f- uh, trying to kick on his left oh, foot at clearly. every opportunity, oh. wasn't he? Clearly. I mean, at this point, he is protecting half of his body. It's, yeah. it's terrible. Oh, yeah. I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, is this for real? Mm. I know he's a beautiful kick off both sides of his body, but he's actually sort of turning away. He's, he's in pain here. This is not right. This guy is now, we've got a guy off their half back line who is protecting half of his body because he's obviously sore from a, a very invasive operation that appendix removal of an appendix is. Phil Davis isn't moving. Shane Mumford is getting embarrassed. Soldo's now running, sort of, you know, lording it over him around the ground. And one by one, these players are being exposed. It's not a good look. And, uh, you know, they continue to shoot themselves in the foot too, the Giants, um, with their discipline falling apart as well. Another example of that, um, they'd actually won the free kick in the centre of the ground, whereupon oh, yes. uh, Himmelberg gave away a, a silly free kick to Grimes and he protested what? to the umpires. We should, we about should talk about this because this happened twice in the game with Grimes mm. where he goes down and it happened against Brisbane as well. He is blocked. Is he blocked or is, nah. he seeing, or is he seeing players taking positions and running into them and falling over? I don't like, I don't think either of those frees were frees for mine. Yeah, the, I don't remember the first one that well, but the second one, I thought, you just don't do it. You don't risk it, particularly when your size just one possession and particularly when you're nine goals down. Well, if you're a forward, you're allowed to take a position. Yeah. You're yeah. allowed to move. Yeah. The uh, back, if a backman's clever, he'll run into you and the umpire has to say, well, hang on, no... It's all about the eyes, and I didn't really see. I didn't really see. Um, it was at Himmelberg. Yeah, I didn't see him look around for him. Yeah, again, don't take the risk. You're nine goals down the grand final. I don't think he took a risk. I think he he didn't even know what hit him. Well, from the ensuing reversal, uh, Kane Lambert got himself into the clear and uh, on the run, forty metres out, no one around him, made no mistake. The margin now out to ten goals. And then Richmond fluffed a few chances to actually extend the margin here because Stanley kicked another point, Toby Nankervis kicked a point, Daniel Rioli kicked a point, and then after more than two quarters of football had elapsed, GWS finally kicked their second goal, a right foot snap from Jacob Hopper. That was at the 24-minute, 48-second mark 
brought the margin back to 56 points, all academic now, of course, and again on the siren, second time in the three quarters. Ivan Soldo, and this was a popular goal too, marked... <laughs> yeah, these goals are now going down by popularity. Can marked, we get, can mar- we get our, mate, our, our cult heroes to get goals? Marked 45 metres out and made no mistake on the siren. Richmond now 62 points up. The scores, Richmond 12 goals, 9. GWS, a paltry 2-7. 62 points the difference. What was there left to play for in the last quarter? Well, let's find out. Well, not a lot in terms of competitive football games. But the Giants did post their third goal of the game, Finey, and it came courtesy of Harrison Himmelberg. Mark, about 25 metres out, uh, played on from that mark and snapped. That was uh, just under two minutes into the quarter. And I must say that of their three tall forwards, and I know you're going to speak of one of them a little bit later in the program in our Hot or Not segment, but of the three forwards, he was clearly covering most ground, making most effort and getting most results. So I think Himmelberg, on a very bad afternoon and a tough afternoon for any anybody forward of centre for GWS, actually came out with his reputation intact. He was the best of the forwards. I mean, if you were forced to nominate a GWS forward as being among their best player, he is probably the player yeah. you would pick. Yeah, but, but I think for opportunities, he... he he worked his patootie off, I thought. I thought he was okay. So uh, not a lot happened for the next five or so minutes. And I must admit, at this stage, I thought, oh, it's going to be one of those last quarters that just peters out into nothing. Time, though, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. But, you know, what's worse is when there's junk time when even the winning side isn't doing much and it mm. looked like it was going to be one of those last quarters. Oh, can I just mention one thing? Sorry, and I should have mentioned it earlier. I know this game was <laughs> over pretty early, but there was a very courageous mark by David Asprey earlier on in the game. and. I think he might have got a tough corky out of it. And he's just an underrated combatant, isn't he? He's so hard to play on. Well, if you uh, if your game as a defender is marked by what your opponent did, he was one of the best couple on the ground. Well, because, he was, he yeah, was on Finlayson. He was. But, but I thought he was perfect. <laughs> I mean, he was just courageous and... and he copped a really, really nice corky, nasty corky from that, but he kept at it. He was. He's a class player. First goal of the quarter for the Tigers came nine minutes in, and it was a mark to Shy Bolton. It didn't have a lot to do, really, yesterday. But, um, I thought what he did was pretty good. Yeah, look, he, he did put it this way. He didn't do anything wrong, and I think he's been one of the ways in which this Richmond side has grown further. They are clearly, for me, a a flashier, classier-looking side this year than they were two years ago, I think. And it's the addition of players like him that has helped do that. Margin out to 63 points again. A lot of pressure he puts on. Yeah, well, speaking of pressure, we had another kick into the Richmond goalmouth, a two-on-one contest, and uh, the GWS defender worried out of uh, a clean grab or even being able to uh, fist the ball away, and Jack Rewalt picked it up and very gratefully snapped on his left foot from point-blank range, giving him his fourth goal of the game and the margin now out to 70 points. Okay, so there's not a lot in this game, really. Now, the game is over, and (laughs) Richmond are starting to rack up some possessions. But there's a bloke who wears number nine for Richmond. I don't think he's got an off button. Now, he hasn't had a huge game, but as you said, with the captain's tackle on Mumford, and what in and under... It's it's a pity, almost, because his, his bailiwick, if you will, hard, contested, tough 
grand final ball, that, that shop never opened. You know, it was so open. The, the, the lack of pressure from centre bounces meant that Cochin's trademark toughness was barely required. But he still, whilst others were almost mucking around in the last quarter, he was reinvigorated himself to be... Um, powerful, and he kicked a great... I'm so pleased for him that he got that goal. It was a beautiful goal, by the way. Well, let's... T- <clears throat> pardon me. Let's talk about that now. And you talk about symbolism. I thought a lot of symbolism in the last three goal scorers, in fact, the last four goal scorers of the game, two of them to Jack Rewalt, one to Cochin, one to Martin. These are the guys who have suffered through the lean times at Punt Road and were now clearly uh, reaping the rewards and enjoying the spoils. And Cochin's goal... Uh, he had the GWS player coming full tilt at a marking contest. He got there first. The GWS momentum carried him through. And Cochin looks around, and he's on his own. So he goes to a run out of a centre square, and he gets closer and closer to goal and goes, well, why not have a crack? He has a crack, well shepherded through by, I think, Tom Lynch. And uh, that also produced one of the loudest roars of a day. And he was pretty happy about it too, Trent. Yeah, he really he really celebrated, didn't he? Well, it was sort of like, you know... It, this it, is the game. Yeah, right? a 77-point lead. Yeah. You know you're about to win your second flag in three years. All the hard work's been uh, vindicated. And uh, life as a footballer doesn't get a lot better. Dustin Martin, now, if there was any doubt about the Norm Smith medal, it was laid to rest. In fact, we had two goals in the final minute of play, and they became important from a history point of view too, which we'll get to. But Dustin Martin had his last goal with a right foot snap from a fair margin out too, and a lovely kick curled inside the right-hand goalpost. Uh, 25 minutes, 50, that goal. Only 44 seconds left on the clock when he kicked it. 83 points now, which made it uh, the equal fourth biggest um, grand final winning margin of all time. And then literally seconds before the final siren, Tigers win the final centre bounce clearance of the game. Jack Rewalt marks on 50, goes back. And another beautiful shot just fading inside that left-hand goalpost. Tigers ahead by 89 points now. Literally one second left on the clock. Ball goes back to the centre. The bounce ensues. The siren goes. Cue pandemonium and a Richmond Premiership. You know, had Martin not kicked that goal, I reckon we would have had, from my standpoint, one of the shortest last quarters in any grand final I've seen, they tend to go a long time with a lot of stoppages. and Yeah. You know, when the game's alive. Yeah. I don't know what happened in the Port Adelaide-Geelong last quarter. I think Geelong kicked too many goals for it to be that short. But we would have barely hit 26 minutes, you know. I mean, it just, there was no out-of-bounds. There were no ball-ups. It was really JLT football brought forward. Nevertheless, I'm pleased for Richmond fans because all fans of winning teams get that sort of commemorative DVD or whatever it is that you watch over and over. And it's a bit boring when you kick your last goal with nine minutes to go. But <laughs> here, you can watch to the very end because there's a great last minute. Yeah, no, I like I like those ones right on the buzzer. And uh, just for the purposes of history and for the record books, the 89-point winning margin, the third largest in grand final history behind Port Adelaide, 119 points in 2007. And Hawthorne, 96 points against Melbourne in 1988. Richmond's 12th Premiership, putting them level with Melbourne behind now. Only Carlton and Essendon on 16, Collingwood on 15 and Hawthorne on 13. 
they held GWS to the, and this was a significant one, I thought, the equal sixth lowest score in grand final history. And if you think, uh, gee, I bet the others were a long time ago, here's what years they were. 1927, 1901, 1905, 1898, and 1960. Uh, 1960, if you're wondering, was Collingwood's 2-2 against Melbourne on an absolute quagmire of a ground. So they had at least some excuse. But the I wonder how many of those, those games saw no rain. <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, not, too many, conditions not, not too many people around we can ask, unfortunately. But the lowest grand final score for 59 years... Just on the game itself too, and uh, look, I mean, it was such a one-sided game that the stats sort of became less significant, but I thought this one was very significant. Um, Richmond, from forward half turnovers, they are the best side at scoring from turnovers in the AFL. They normally average 30 30 points a game from turnovers. In the grand final, they scored 60 points from turnovers, so double their average. GWS... Are the AFL's best side at scoring from clearances. From clearances in the grand final, they scored two behinds. Have you got the clearance numbers? I mean, I there, there was no way statistically you could imagine Richmond winning the clearances. Now, if they didn't, I'd be surprised. Well, Richmond uh, finished the year, I think, 17th and 18th for yep. both clearances and contested ball. Yep. GWS were first for clearances and very high for contested ball. Uh, at the wash-up uh, final game stats, the contested ball was 134 to Richmond, 115 to the Giants. So they've won that by 19. And that's something they don't even aim to win? And the clearances, they won by one, 34 to 33. Which is ridiculous. We've got the first team against the 18th team. It's just something that Richmond do not mould their game around, and it's all GWS's modus operandi, and they lost the clearances. Yeah, look, an absolutely dominant performance. Um, any other good players you feel well, like we should what, mention? What were your 3-2-1? I know that um, Dustin Martin, we know, won the Norm Smith <coughs> medal, and mm. I, I felt he was best on ground, sort of not by the length of the straight. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought he had a couple of lengths on a blanket finish. I would have gone, uh, if we're doing 3-2-1, I would have gone three votes to Martin. I would have gone two votes to Rewalt. Five goals in a grand final these days is a big effort. And I would have gone one vote to Basha Hooley. Now, I'm not trying to be controversial. I really believe this. I was three votes to Martin, two votes to Rewalt, and I had a GWS player for a vote. Uh, Taranto? No, not even close. Uh, I thought Haynes was fantastic. Oh, yeah. I thought he was great all afternoon. He had so little support in the back line. He was courageous. He was... Uh, just watched, I've watched the game twice on TV. I would say that Richmond were denied five goals by Haynes. Yeah, well, he said, I oh, know he was certainly in their, I thought, in their best couple. And uh, I just thought it was one of those games where the, the winning side had the best. Deserved the, the three. Yeah. Well, and the. Well, Jeff Dunn got two it. Two and the one and the point five and the. I thought they had the best six or seven players on the ground. Jeff Dunn got a vote when Collingwood beat St Kilda by 170 or whatever it was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, there you have it in forensic detail the 2019 AFL Grand Final. Final scores again Richmond 17 goals 12, 114 to GWS 3725. One last observation on the game. Again, I value your opinion. What did you make of the umpiring? 
uh, didn't even notice it. I yeah. thought it was fine. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, uh, other than the non-mark to, to rewind, that thought, was probably the most controversial thing I, in the whole I game. I thought it was good. And isn't it funny? Uh, because there's no reason for this. In that incredibly close preliminary final, the arc was put under enormous pressure and buckled a bit. Now, there's no reason why uh, a blowout shouldn't have controversial goal decisions, but there was very little arcing to be done. No. Well, it wasn't ended up not being a, a high-pressure game, really, because no, Richmond blew it aside. Yeah. And a telltale sign there, injuries, uh, officially listed injuries for either side, nil. I'm saying, sadly, this game ended up, as next season will start, very JLT-like in the second half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, that's the detail of the game. Let's now talk about our highs and our lows. On footyology, hot or not. All right, Finey, I'm going to go first. I know it's obvious. I know everyone's talking about him, but how can you not have this guy as a hot? You make your AFL debut in a grand final. Hasn't happened since, uh, who was it, the Melbourne bloke was the last one? I've forgotten his name. Batchelor for Collingwood. Oh, sorry, Keith Batchelor, 1952. He didn't get to play on a winning side, but Marlon Pickett did. 22 disposals, which made him equal second highest for ball winning on the ground. Actually, that's an interesting little stat. I mean, we get used to... No one racked up the big No, numbers. no, and, and so you do get some grand finals like that, but they tend to, you know, they tend to be more... Back in time when 22 disposals was uh, second highest on the on the park. 13 kicks, 9 handballs, but here's the big one for me. 9 score involvements. Um, the only person on the ground that had more was Jason Castagna with 10, and 5 of those were his own behind. So, um, incredible game from Pickett. He kicked a goal, he set up so many others. Uh, he had 8 inside 50s, which also ranked him number 1 in that statistical category. And his metres gained, for those that like that stat, 559 metres gained, which put him third on the ground behind, uh, I think, Castagna and Nick Floston might have been the other one. Incredible story, incredible debut, absolutely vindicated the decision to play him. And uh, boy, you go into next year as a reigning Premier and you've got this guy on your books and he's played one game. I think you're going to be pretty excited to uh, look ahead to see what he's got to serve up in the next few seasons. Interestingly, this is how things work at football clubs, and it's now, I think, the same for all clubs. If you're a member of the Premiership side, do you know what you become automatically? A life member. Correct. He's now a life member, an AFL life member. He can go to... if he. No, it's a Richmond life member. Yeah, I'm saying, but as a Richmond life member in the AFL, he gets into all... He'll get into all the grand finals from now on. He'll be able to get a ticket through the club. I hope his kids can get some tickets. <laughs> it's got four of them. It's not bad, though, is it? One game and probably halfway through it, you're already a life member. Well, let's hope he doesn't do a Billy James and blow his toes off uh, rabbit hunting. Four years hunting. later. Yeah, four years later. Yeah. Interestingly, not quite what we thought. The other thing about Marlon Pickett, I know a lot of people said what a huge effort it was for him to play his first AFL game in a grand final. And others said, if you look at his record in the waffle, then he's up to it. But what's most interesting is how few players had played any football with him. Remember, look, by the normal course of events, even if you're making your debut in a final, if you get drafted by a club, generally you might have a pre-season with them. He had no pre-season. We remember this guy was picked up mid-season draft. And then you play in the VFL with them. But he missed seven games when he got there. So there are very few... You'd count on one hand the actual number of games that players have played with him. 
I, but, I couldn't believe it. But the synergy with other players was superb. It's like he played with them all their life. I couldn't believe it. There was one passage where, you know, the mics are, uh, sorry, the umps are mic'd up. So you obviously hear a bit of discussion going on. There was one bit I could have sworn where he had the ball and I could hear one, one of the other Richmond guys going, hey, mate, mate. <laughs> no, I just made that up. But, but really, we're talking about no one having played with him. Yeah. yeah no, so How about the synergy with him and Dustin? And it was amazing. It was amazing. So I'm going to give my first hop to Jack Rewalt, who I tipped for, who I tipped for the Norm Smith Medal, and we both had him running second. Any suggestion that he was out of form the week before does not. There was no credence to it because yes, he he played a selfless secondary role as he does, but he's capable of much more, and it just. From the first minute of the game where he definitely marked, what a great start to that final would have been. But you knew he was on. He was crisp all afternoon. His kicking was beautiful. His judgment was beautiful. And don't worry, it's not only the goals he kicked. He doesn't get in the way of Tom Lynch or Dustin Martin when they're doing their thing up forward. He is such a perfect foil for other goal-kicking forwards, yet capable of kicking a match-winning total himself. I wonder what was behind his very emotional reaction to that last goal. He sort of kicked it and he was almost, I think he might have teared up straight afterwards. Was it his cousin Maddie? I'm sure there are a lot of things that come to play. But he's a, a wonderful, he's been a wonderful player for Richmond and he is still at the top of his powers. I like, I, I like Jack Rewalt as a footballer, as a person, and he got everything he deserved at the MCG on grand final day, and that is a starring role in a brilliant win. Yeah, no, I reckon I'd go so far as to say he's the most selfless key forward I reckon I've seen in footy since Jason Dunstall. Yeah, and but, but to be that, you've got to be so... You've got to have such a high football IQ. As you talk about Dustin Martin, how clever he is when the, understanding the bounce of the ball, because he's a very smart player, Dustin Martin. You know what? You can't beat footy smarts mm. when you match it up with ability. Well, we saw that in that, um, albeit in a, a supposed poor game, that tap uh, in a one-on-three contest oh, in the preliminary it, final last week. It was it was brilliant. All right. Uh, I'm going with a knot uh, because whilst this was, on one hand, a, a fantastic grand final performance, on the other side, not so much. And look... I don't enjoy doing this particularly. You don't like singling people out. But I tell you what, in the realms of poor individual grand finals, I don't think there's that many worse ones I've seen in my lifetime than the game Jeremy Finlayson played yesterday. He was absolutely invisible. And I thought that before I looked at his stats. And when I looked at his stats, it absolutely confirmed it. He ended up the grand final with one kick, one mark, one tackle, and one hit out, and that was from 63% of game time. He was absolutely invisible. He got taken to the cleaners by David Asprey, um, but in the end, I, I think the Giants sort of recognised he was having a, a Barry Crocker, and uh, when he was on the ground, they just stopped looking for him, and I think worse, uh, as his confidence nosedived, he stopped moving. You know, he, he was just this stationary figure on the ground when he was out there, and um, boy, they are I mean, they are just shocking stats for any player to record in a grand final. And I think, you know, look, all the Giants will be feeling 
pretty terrible, but I don't think any will be feeling worse than him because, unfortunately, he's had a great season and it's a good story about a key defender switch forward and he's been a gun for them, but he just did not, literally did not fire a shot and I don't think uh, any giant will have greater, uh, I guess, personal motivation to get back to that big stage again and to rectify that situation than he because it was a, it was an embarrassing performance and I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm not doing that to be cruel but uh it was a really really poor performance on the biggest stage of all I'm so disappointed for him they interviewed his parents before the game and they were lovely you know how proud they were because he was not like most GWS players he was picked at 85 or something mm. he was a very late selection he has really made the most of his football opportunity and had a great season and been very important in the finals And so I was looking up today, sort of sporting chokes, because I put it down as a bit of a choke. Do you put it down as a... Uh, It's it's in in those realms, yeah. I think so, because what happened in the second half was he didn't want the ball to come to him. Mm. And you know what I ended up with? Daryl Tuffy. Daryl Tuffy bowled the opening over against Australia in a one-day international in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Do you know after seven deliveries, there were still no deliveries in the game? Oh, really? What year was that? The first ball was a no ball that Gilchrist hit for four, and the next six balls were three no balls and three wides. Ouch. And unfortunately, it just showed, because Fleming kept going down and talking to him, you you can't say to tell somebody to relax. They have to relax. And I think some encouragement, all the encouragement, nothing was going to help Jeremy yesterday. No, fair point. So it was toughy-like. All right. I thought the team selection by GWS was risky. This is a knot. This is the knottest of the year. I thought it was risky from an outsider's point of view. But they must have known Davis wasn't right and Whitfield wasn't right. Really? Do you remember the... And this is not an apocryphal story. This happened. How Mick Malthouse missed the 1980 grand final? I do. Because my good friend Steve Sandor was the physio who oversaw that very bruising cruel and unfair, almost unfair, because for people who don't know, he was given at the end of training, he'd, he'd, he'd with, he had a shoulder, was it a dislocated shoulder or a, a broken collarbone? It was, it was a collarbone. Collarbone, I think broken, cracked collarbone. And he had passed really all of the obvious tests during the final training session. But then he was forced to do a one-on-one. And... In that one-on-one, again, with great courage, he almost survived it. But do you know what he didn't survive? Yeah, the coach. You know what I'm saying? But do you know what the coach did to him? Yeah, he got him when he wasn't expecting it. No, that's not quite right. That's sort of the story. But more accurately is he grabbed him by the jumper in one of these one-on-ones. And he could not lift his arm and break that that grab, you know, smash the arm down to break the hold after being smashed by the coach. Mm. And that was it. That was the end of his... Now, don't tell me Whitfield went through anything like that. And Davis was self, self-diagnosing self before the game. Whitfield was protecting half of his body. I, I just don't think that's acceptable for a grand final. GWS will get away with it because they've got 
not many supporters, and, and a lot of them are new to the game. I don't think, I'll tell you what, if it was Collingwood, if it was an established club, there would be hell to pay today. Well, it, it shows the position they were in. They knew that they were no chance unless they got their best players on the park. So. It does say that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But it says it to your opponents very early in the game when Rewalt looks around at his opponent and, and obviously Whitfield is manned up by a couple of different players, and people quickly see, well, this team obviously doesn't have much belief in themselves if they're putting these guys out on the field. Yeah. No, good call. Good call. All right, my final one is a hot, and it goes to the now dual premiership coach of Richmond, Damien Hardwick. And uh, interesting, last night, um, someone I follow on Twitter Obviously, Spence, and not even a Richmond supporter, I don't think, but they obviously spent some time going through the Twitter archives and finding a whole lot of tweets sent by disgruntled Richmond supporters after they got smashed in the final home and away game of 2016. And uh, there there must have been 30 of them from people saying, oh, come on, this is embarrassing, sack Hardwick now. They were all of that ilk. And uh, he had a pretty tasty response to most of them, but... Isn't it incredible the extent to which things have turned around? And you know what? It's not just the last three years either. Richmond has now been in six of the last seven finals campaigns. And yes, they lost the elimination finals three years in a row. But they have had six very, very solid seasons out of seven. That is consistent coaching and consistent performance. And finally, it's reflected in Damien Hardwick's record. Ten seasons now, two premierships, six finals appearances. Here's the extent of how that uh, improvement has has been uh, measured statistically. After the end of his third season in 2012, um, he had a winning percentage as a coach of 36. Uh, at the end of 2019, after yesterday, apart from the two flags, uh, played 231, won 130, lost 99, drawn two, strike rate 56.71%. And when you remember how abject Richmond were when uh, Dimmer took over in 2010, lost their first, I think, 10 games that season. Um, and uh, the fact, again, going back to 2016, the fervour that was building um, for Richmond to sack him, and you remember we had the board challenge going on and... I'm pretty sure they wanted to get rid of him as well. Well, they held their nerve, the Tigers, as a football club, and they will be absolutely thanking their lucky stars they did. What I love about Hardwick as a coach is, and again, and uh, you know, it takes a rare breed, but I think as a coach he's pretty ego-free. I don't think you get much sense of this is about me or I'm imposing myself on this team. He's very happy to remain in the background as much as he can. Uh, he's empowered his players, and uh, I think you know if you read Conrad Marshall's excellent book about 2017, you see that it required a fundamental shift in his philosophies about not just coaching but the whole game. And he embraced that, and he embraced people being brought in around him who could help him, and he was prepared to, to I guess, accept that there were deficiencies in his approach to the game and to coaching that other people would help rectify, and he was able to swallow his pride and uh, take those things on board, work with them, and to the point where he is now one of the best coaches in the caper. And uh, I've known Dimmer a fair while. He's a terrific bloke, uh, very intelligent bloke, very funny bloke, um, and now recognised, rightfully, as one of the best coaches of the modern era. So hats off to Dimmer, 
And uh, in this current Richmond golden era, no one really deserves the success more than he does. Well spoken. I've uh, had great occasion through the Ormond Footy Club where his son played to um, have some um, moments with Damien, especially during the lesser years, 15 and 16. Just couldn't meet a more even-keeled person. And I guess uh, full credit to his footy upbringing for your club, Essendon, because he left there as... We know he went to Port Adelaide, but he went left Essendon as a really respected hard man of football, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sort of the first-picked type person. Well, someone have you believe that had it not been for a uh, a wonky uh, laptop computer, he might actually be Essendon's, Essendon's coach. coach. Yep. But we'll save that story for another day. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to finish with four very quick mini hots or nots. Okay, we'll go. Number one, Taylor Harris. Incredible effort in the long kicking competition. She kicked 61.5 metres to come equal tied third overall. Is that right? Yeah, not bad. I, didn't I don't know, know who won, but I know she kicked over 60 metres and was on the dais for the overall. That's oh, a pretty good effort. Well done, Taylor. Uh, number two. Well done to Future Saint. I don't know how many people expect... I shouldn't call him Future Saint. Did many people expect Ben King to win the halftime sprint? That's not bad for a big key forward. I think it's very disrespectful to call him Future Saint. (laughs) Not if you're Barry from St Kilda, it isn't after the run we've had. Anyhow, we've got his twin brother. So maybe... I heard he's not even the fastest in the family. So, (laughs) yeah, that's not true. Uh, The celebrations afterwards got very raucous in Richmond. Yeah. Very, very, very raucous. And I also do think that because of these two giant street celebrations that we've had for the last two local wins here in Melbourne, yeah, are we going to have – is this going to be the future for any team, any Melbourne team that wins, that, that their suburb is going to be turned upside down? I reckon it might be, seriously. I think other fans look at it almost longingly, but there were flares let off. Hundreds of people getting Dustin Martin haircuts, <laughs> and it just went. It was a real. It was almost a riot. Well, Richmond's sort of made for it, isn't it? I it mean, is made for it. It is, but I don't know where where would they go if Essendon won. Well, I remember in '84, me and my uh, my uh, teenage mates went uh, back to the club that night, and there were impromptu celebrations happening out in Brewster Street and Napier Street. Yeah, could that work? Do you think that could work? Uh, it could work if you're talking yeah, to the do you microphone. Think that could work? Um, well, it depends where you are. Um, Hawthorne would be hard. South Road would be a bit busy for the Saints. Oh, I think St Kilda would go back to St Kilda. Well, would Hawthorne now go to Waverley or Dingley? No, Glen Ferry Road, Burke Road. Glen Ferry Road, yeah. See, I mean, it's, it's a bit different when you sort <laughs> Ligon of. Ligon Street would come alight. It really would. Yeah, Ligon Street, perhaps. It's hard when you don't sort of reside anywhere. Collingwood doesn't have a street. Yeah, well, Lawley Street. Um. Yeah, Vic, uh, Lully Street, Johnston Street, maybe North Melbourne, um, Arden Street. There's not many other streets in North Melbourne. Ah, oh, well, what's the other one? Uh, is it Boundary Road that runs along oh, the other side? There's something to go. The side just, of the old gasometer. But I just really do believe that other fans. I wouldn't be surprised if Swan Street got, you know, became central to celebrations in the future. Yeah. For all teams. Yeah. Because it is made for it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also, don't forget uh, Amy Park just down the road. It's probably made for Melbourne Victory celebrations as well and other codes. Yeah. And finally, the last one is a really unfortunate thing that happened after the game. And I should point out that Toby Green doesn't have anything really to do with his father and hasn't for quite a while. But I, I've, I know Michael Green. I've met him a couple of times. And I just say people, look, it was a serious incident. And I believe he's not been granted bail. 
being charged with assaulting a police officer. It's a serious matter. He's a complex bloke, Michael. And I know, look, I'm not defending him in any way, but, you know, people are just going to grandstand on this one and given the sort of, um, the sort of almost cartoon-like character that Toby's become on the field as the arch enemy for every team, uh, they're going to really get stuck into Michael, but he's he, he has his issues, but he's actually a very intelligent, complex bloke, and I wish him all the best in trying to get his life into better order. All right, they are our highs and lows of grand final weekend. I think it's time we did some serious ranting, Finey. On Footyology, <laughs> the rant off. All right, well, the game was a bit of a damp squib. Have you got any fire left in your belly to unload with a truly grand final-worthy rant? Oh, yeah. I mean, Richmond have got me and should have every football fan quaking and shaking in their booties. All right. Can we trust you to deliver Yes, I will deliver it. Straight into that microphone. Perfectly. Okay. It still amazes me how someone's done radio as long as you has trouble speaking to a microphone, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Are you ready? Uh, I like headsets. Okay. Uh, I know why now. Three, two, one, rant. Oh, they were singing yellow and black down Swan Street into the early hours. They may still be doing it. My worry is they'll be doing it for the next five years. This team, I, I understand that there is a propensity to look at a team that's just won a premiership, especially one that has done so in such a convincing manner as Richmond did in their victory, the demolishing of the Giants, and to say that this is the start of an era. But Damien Hardwick, who we've pointed out, is not a boastful type, and he's not one to say things without really thinking about them, said, hang on, we've got the number one draft pick next year. They went through the entire season virtually without Alex Rance. Nominally, the start of their forward forays from the back line, known as one of the greatest fullbacks to have ever played the game, and he is absolutely champing at the bit to go in 2020. How about Sydney Stack? An unfortunate injury took this brilliant first-year player that came from nowhere off the radar, and he just missed getting back in time. If he played for GWS, he probably would have captained them. They were so desperate to put players in, but Richmond held fire, kept their powder dry, and he will be a star for years to come. I saw him come of age against the Saints, went forward and demolished us. Marley and Pickett, who are you? One game of football, one premiership. In the votes, probably third best on ground in your first game. I dread to see what your next hundred are going to be like. Tom Lynch, recruit of the year, recruit of the decade. He's going to kick close to 100 one year for Richmond. I'm not kidding, he's that good. Rewalt's not going anywhere. Dustin Martin, do you reckon he's retiring? I don't think so. Trent Coxon will go around for a few years. And every other player there is young, bristling, brilliant, and ready for more. Look, I don't like it any more than you do. I sound like the guy from the start of uh, Cool Hand Luke. What we've got here is failure to eliminate. Failure to eliminate the Tigers, and I fear that for the next decade, yellow and black! will be ringing out loud from MCG on grand final day. That is it. Yibbity yibbity from the former, not Tiger Hunt, but for all the other teams that are no longer in the hunt. 
Oh, everyone always talks up dynasties when a side wins a flag. Come on, you know how it works. doesn't go without saying. The two flags that they've won, 2017 was the most comprehensive final series ever played by a team. Mm. Engineered and executed with brilliance like I've never seen. And the way they finished off the finals this year, let's be honest, their first two finals, they were sort of nervy and almost... Sort of, sort of thinking about what can go wrong in the light of Collingwood of last year, and they shook those to actually win those games pretty well. How about their grand final? I'm sorry, mate, but those players and others to come in, they ain't going nowhere. No, no, it's a fair point. And uh, after what happened this year, we won't even be saying, "Well, what if they lose their best player?" Because they did that in the first exactly. game. Of the but they also survived. Look at how many games their stars missed. Yeah, yeah. No, they they are a terrific. Terrific football side, and uh, probably not unsurprisingly, my rant is go- venturing into similar territory or slightly different territory. I've gone a, a little more intelligent. Well, that, but uh, <laughs> give it a break. Existential, I was going to say. <clears throat> so, oh, right. right, so <clears throat> if it's existential, I'll count you in like this: egg, the side of a tree, and happiness. I'm pissed off with Richmond, Finey. They're just too bloody good. Two flags in three years now, and we all know it probably should have been three in a row. They stuffed up the biggest day of the football year, turning it into a non-event after about a quarter. Honestly, there was more competition at the MCG on Saturday between the droves of TV news reporters trying to come up with stories about people wearing face paint and yelling straight at the camera look like they hadn't been done every year since 1956. It turned back the clock to that procession of one-sided grand finals we had in the 80s and 90s, when the most tension you felt in an entire second half was what line Bruce McAvaney was going to come up with when the siren went. But it's Richmond's turning back of the clock that worries me most, Finey. As I've said many times before, I grew up in Richmond's metropolitan recruiting ground when the Tigers were at their strongest in the early 70s, and I'm still dealing with the scars. You say the word Richmond, and I start thinking of Miller shirts, Ugg boots, lumber jackets, and a procession of Geordie boys waiting to beat the crap out of anyone who happened to catch a train on the Glen Waverley line after 7pm. I think of Neil Baum smashing Jeff Southby's jaw, Kevin Bartlett running amok, and Graham Richmond and Ian Wilson acting like they own the bloody game. The flashbacks don't take much to be rekindled, and so every time Liam Baker and that stupid mullet of his went anywhere near the ball against the Giants, I kept channeling visions of Lobby Lloyd and the Colour Balls doing a Rocktober gig at the Music Bowl in front of a whole tribe of Sharpies who'd all rolled up in their Sandman panel vans. Yeah, sure, they were different times. The Richmond Football Club of today is a highly professional and well-drilled machine that has won as many plaudits for its community work as its football. It doesn't need strong-arm tactics. But I'm here to tell you, don't be fooled by this new-age, more multicultural and inclusive version. They're on a similar mission to take over football. They're just going to do it by killing everyone with kindness and care for people. Bloody Peggy O'Neill and Brendan Gale, it's like some sort of modern-day Sonny and Sher duet. I'm surprised the PA didn't belt out I Got You Babe instead of Tigerland when the final siren went on Saturday. Bloody Damien Hardwick getting his players to enjoy their football. Look at all those beaming smiles when they sat down for the team photo before the start of the grand final. It's like football's version of the Stepford Wives. 
What about Trent Cochin? Makes his speech up on the dais and then goes back for a second go because he forgot to thank the supporters. And all those Richmond players fawning over the Auskick kids, giving them their medals. Christ, I thought they weren't just going to let the kids put the medals around their necks, but try to adopt them as well. Mean old Richmond, caring new Richmond. It's still dominant Richmond, and that's bad for football, finey, and confusing. Last night, as I pondered an old AFL powerhouse reborn, I fell into a deep but tortured sleep and had the worst nightmare I've ever had. It was 2019, but I was on the Glen Waverley line again, headed out to a non-existent VFL park. The train stopped at Jordanville, and sure enough, all the Geordie boys got on wearing their Peter Wusher Welsh duffel coats and smoking camel filters. They surrounded me, and I braced myself for the worst, but all I did was burst into song. And it wasn't Lobby Lloyd. It wasn't even Tigerland. It was bloody Kumbaya. you got to help me, Finey. I couldn't cope with the old Richmond, and I can't cope with the new one either. That's very good. Very good. Yes, you did, you did encapsulate a point in time. It's funny. Richmond used to be exactly what you said. And like the animal enclosure, do you remember their supporter group that was so dangerous at the punt road end? The Grog Squad. They actually had Grog Squad bagless made. They did. They, they had a very funny way of following football. Getting pissed? <laughs> you know, the way the MCG used to be built, it was sort of had, it, it, it was a cavernous thing that had this subterra- subterranean ring around it. In, no matter how hot it was outside, it was cool down there. And you could sort of walk around the ground in the under the grandstands almost. And these guys, during the game, used to sit, stand down there, leaning against the, the, the fence where they could get a little bit of a view of half the goals, drinking, just sinking can after can. And whenever there was a goal, they'd rush up to the top of the stand and go, Richmond! Yeah, and they were just, and they had their grog squad badges, and they were mean. They were scary. They don't exist anymore. No, they were, they were, yeah, they all died of cirrhosis of the liver. You know, they've got their famous cheer squad. I, I, I think of, um, what's his name? His surname's Norman, uh, their cheer squad leader. He hasn't missed a game in 30 years, including a famous rush back from Bali where he had to take two connecting flights and a, there was problems with Mount Pinatubo or something. He ended up having to fly north before he could get to Australia. And for those people, for, the, for those real diehard Richmond fans, more power to you, you nutcases. Yeah, nutcases, the operative word. Okay, there's the rants done and dusted. Time we finish this baby off. Done and dusted. Done and dusty. very good. Time we finish this baby off one last time. On Footyology, the final word. Okay, the grand final's over, but this is the big one. Forget the premiership, the Footyology grand final giveaway. We promised you a fantastic prize, and we have delivered, thanks to our very good sponsors, Argon, deliverers of quality organic cotton, 100% organic cotton cotton products and we've given away a lot of gym towels throughout the season valued at $35 but for our grand final competition we are giving away a massive prize a complete bed set for either king or queen size the king size valued at around $580 the queen size a bit over $500 each set consists of a fitted sheet a flat sheet two pillowcases and a duvet or doona cover, whichever terminology you prefer. We asked you... Have you ever used the word duvet? No, no, I think it's more uh, English terminology. European, yeah. So what do we ask our 
listeners to do, Finding? You'll be Bruce, you'll be BT, you'll be calling the memorable moment, maybe the end of the game or that single moment that will put you in commentator's hall of fame, the pantheon of greatness currently that houses Mike Williamson's Jezelenko, you beauty. Or Anthony Hudson's, who'd have thought the sequel would be as good as the original? Or Stephen Quartermain's, Leo Barry, you star. And not unsurprisingly, no, hang on, not surprisingly, we were inundated, inundated, I tell you, with quality entries. And it's been a really tough task coming up with the winner. But I want to make it clear, they didn't have to be predictive. So right in the mix were some that had GWS... Winning and the the highlight being a GWS end to the game like this one from Marcus Leonard. Okay, so, so it off just a runner up. So we're going. How many we're we going to read out? We've got three runners up and a winner. Okay, so you've done well to get it back to that many. Read out our runners up. I love this. This almost gave me the tingle down the spine. It really did. It's the final sixty seconds of the game, and the Tigers have kicked a goal to take a five point lead. This from the centre bounce. And Taranto receives the handball. He bursts clear, has a bounce, kicks long to the top of the square. And Cameron, standing on the shoulders of Giants, takes a huge grab. Now, we don't know whether he kicked the goal. Oh, I thought that was a punchline. Well, he probably did. <laughs> but I love standing on the shoulders of Giants. That's good. It's good. It's no, beautiful. So that was it's from Marcus written. Leonard. Beautifully written. From Marcus Leonard, was yeah. it? Well done, Marcus. So... I, I I consider that a real possible ending of the game until yesterday, about three minutes in. No, about three minutes in the second quarter. Okay, now, our next runner-up from? This is great. From? This one is from Alex Bayovic. Okay. Or Alexei Bayovic. I love it because he pictures Anthony Hudson doing it and channeling Michael Douglas from Wall Street. It's when Toby Green kicks the match-sealing goal in the last quarter. And do you know what he said? Remember Michael Douglas in Wall Street? I do. Green is good. (laughs) Very good. Green is necessary. That's good. Do you like that? I like it. Well done. Well uh, done, Alexi. So, uh, look, they, they are two that never happened, but I still think that they were beautiful. And I like this one. This is a Marley and Pickett highlight. There's... From? Okay, this one is from Clinton Bishop. But Marley and Pickett has a free kick under the Toby Green rule. Needing a point to draw and a goal to win, Toby Green gets that free kick. So it's he gets the boot in the face from Marleyan. It's a kick at goal. Grimes claims to have touched it. It's up to the arc. They're reviewing every angle. The crowd is on their seats. You could not make this up. I repeat, you could not make this up. It's a goal, and Toby Green wins in the game. But really, it was made up, and it never happened. <laughs> and it only could be made up. A suitably dramatic But finish. it had everything. The arc, Toby Green, Marley and Pickett. Well done, Quinton. Our winner, though... Okay. does have a Richmond flavour. And just before you read it out, reminder again, this is for a bed set value of over $500. And, and our winner is... And-
I just want to say how grateful we are to all the people who sent messages of real support for the podcast. I think we well, resonated with a lot of our listeners. I was going to get onto that, but can you just okay. work on the suspense angle with yeah. me? I'm doing okay. the drum roll again. Right, here so we go. What the drum you, roll. Before you read the entry, yeah. I want you to say who the winner is. Here's a drum roll. And the winner is Andrew Marshall. Well done, Andrew. <clears throat> Listen and to this. This is the winning entry. As 12 seconds to go and Richmond are home. And the commentator says, This is a Richmond premiership of biblical proportions. They survived the lions in their den, crossed paths with the Son of God, overcame the vagaries of the ark, and now... They've slayed the giant to claim the Holy Grail. <laughs> Very good, Pretty mate. good, eh? That is poetic that is stuff. A, and it could have been used, a premiership of biblical proportions. That is brilliant stuff well done, indeed. Andrew. Andrew Marshall yep. is our winner. Well done, Andrew. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for entering and entering all our competitions during the year. Now, just before you go, Fonny, here's what you have to do, Andrew, to claim your prize. Uh, we didn't want uh, such a magnificent prize to go through the usual channels. So this is what you need to do. You need to email info at argan, dot au. Info at argan, dot au. And just CC Roco Footyology, R-O-C-O Footyology at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you let us know what size bed you require a bed set for, whether it's king or queen, and you will be the recipient of that fantastic prize. And to sort of give you an idea and really epitomise what was a great support that we got from around the country, our winner, Andrew Marshall, is from Holsworthy in New South Wales. Interestingly, with a Richmond flavour, not a GWS flavour. But we have had winners from, obviously, Victoria, New South Wales, yep. two from Northern Territory, yep. Western Australia, yep. and South Australia. National game deserves and, a national and, podcast. I just remembered. And Tasmania. Yes. Well done. Come well, on, Queensland. Pull your fingers out. Footyology goes all over the country. Well done again. Um, thanks for your support of our competition, too, everyone. Uh, it's been most gratifying. Uh, before we go, quick uh, final thank you to our sponsors. For a great year of support, taking us to the next level, and hopefully we will keep on going higher and higher with support of great sponsors. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, 80 years they celebrate this year, and we're so pleased that they were part of the podcast. Nick Spartel's a great bloke, and Hardwick Build Co., inner city builds and renovations on your properties. Don't forget, after a short break, we'll be back right through summer once a week. Correct. Uh, the short break being, well, as soon as I can get back from overseas, I'm going on a little you European sojourn. Bastard. I will. I thought I'd miss out in trade period and do a bit of uh, sightseeing instead. Uh, but we will return sometime in November and uh, we're going to cover a lot of bases, not just footy. We talk about other sports and life and music and you name it, we'll talk about it. So uh, look forward to bringing that to you. But in the meantime, a couple of quick thank yous. A very big thank you to Carl Bianco, who has been our panel man and producer most of this season. 
Carl had a short overseas sojourn himself recently, and he's a Richmond man too. Because so everybody that works on this thing goes overseas, and I, the furthest I get to is Gawler River. <laughs> well, you get to stay and have Andrew's hamburgers. Um, so thank, thank you, Carl, for all your efforts this year. Much appreciated. A very, very big thank you to Colin Tyrus, who has done a fantastic job for us over the final series. Uh, a giant of the radio industry is Colin Tyrus. <laughs> no, been... that's a criticism now, a giant. <laughs> Say good day to the footyology listeners. Having to go at my size, are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, not literally. I meant a metaphorical giant of the radio industry. It's been great. Thanks very much for your help. Fantastic working with you guys too. And um, a big thank you to Southern FM too, where we do this podcast, a great community station. So uh, throw all your support behind community radio people because it's a very important part of the media landscape. Don't do a Trent Cockshot and forget the most important thank you of all. I was coming to that. And, of course, last but in no means least, thank you to all our listeners. We really appreciate your support, guys and girls. Uh, it's been really gratifying. Um, we're, we're just like you. We love our footy. We love talking about it. And we love having a bit of fun too. So it's been great fun doing this. Like we said, we're going to keep it going over the summer. And uh, after a short break, we'll be back with you sometime in November. But to take us out, there was only ever going to be one choice of song to sign off our grand final episode. You know what it is, and you've probably heard it a couple of hundred times already in the last 24 hours. So one more rendition won't hurt. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you in November. Strong!